Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Daily Gospel Exegesis Podcast, where we take a look at the readings from today's Gospel at Mass, and we're trying to find the literal sense of the text. Whenever we're interpreting the Bible, the Church teaches that we always want to start with the literal text, and so if we can get that first, uh, then we can usually get some spiritual senses from that. Often in sermons, the priest might just go straight to the spiritual sense, and so this podcast is trying to fill the gap where, I guess, the literal sense can be neglected, even though the church tells us that we have to start with the literal sense. So that's our goal. And today we're starting, well, it's an important milestone. It's the very first day of ordinary time. So we're looking at the Gospel of Mark. In the previous episode, uh, we had a look at the Gospel of Mark as a whole and what to expect and what to look for in the Gospel of Mark, and today we're starting our exploration of the text. So we're looking at Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 20, and this exploration of Mark will happen pretty much every weekday. We'll be going through the bulk of the book of Mark right up until the start of June. So let's look here at Mark chapter 1. After John had been arrested, Jesus went into Galilee. There he proclaimed the good news from God. The time has come, he said, and the kingdom of God is close at hand. Repent and believe the good news. As he was walking along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net in the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you into fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They too were in their boat, mending their nets. He called them at once, and, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the men he employed, they went after him. So let's have a look at the text here. Verse 14 is where we start. It says, after John had been arrested. So that's setting the scene for us. It's talking about the arrest of John the Baptist. We don't, at this stage, we don't find out why John the Baptist was arrested, but later in chapter 6 of Mark, we do get some more information there. So after John has been arrested, it says Jesus went into Galilee. So the end of John's public ministry signals the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Uh, And in, in a sense, Jesus is continuing the ministry that John the Baptist began of proclaiming the kingdom of God. Some scholars even think that Jesus was a disciple of John the Baptist, which is possible because we know that if you look at the Gospel of John in the early chapters, Jesus is hanging around the River Jordan for quite a while, at least a few days anyway, before he's baptized, which might indicate that he is a disciple of John. And so some scholars think that the fact that Mark chapter 1 here says after John had been arrested, Jesus went into Galilee. Some Some people have detected an element of fleeing here, as in John the Baptist was arrested, and now Jesus has said, I'm one of his followers, I'm in danger of being arrested, I need to go somewhere else. So that's possible. Um, I'm just putting that out there so you know that some scholars have suggested that. So Jesus goes into Galilee. At this point in the narrative, he's been in the Judean wilderness where he's been tempted by the devil. The devil. That's what's just been described in the Gospel of Mark. So now he's going back to Galilee. 
so it's a 160 kilometer trip or 34 hours of walking. So probably a few days walk for him to get from the Judean wilderness back up to Galilee in the north of Israel. By the way, I think it's often good. I have a map of Israel on the wall in front of me so that I can get these things clear in my mind. Sometimes we lose the geography of how far away things are and where they're situated in Israel doesn't seem as important to us, but remember to a first century reader who uh, marks original audience, they would have known straight away, oh, yep, Nazareth is this far from Bethlehem, etc. So it's good for us to discuss those things as well when we're looking at the literal sense of the text. So we know from the Gospel of Matthew that after Jesus comes out of the desert, which is now, he actually goes to Nazareth, Nazareth first briefly. That's his family home. He says goodbye to his family, and he no longer lives in Nazareth from there. He actually moves to Capernaum. So this is the point at which, or Capernaum, depending on how you pronounce it, the point at which Jesus begins his ministry. He moves to Capernaum, sets up a base there, and starts to proclaim the good news from God. Or another translation there would be proclaiming the gospel of God. Whenever you see that good news in the New Testament, it's the same as gospel. So in that culture, the word gospel was used, was actually used not in relation to Christian things. It was used in relation to Roman governors. So put yourself in the shoes of Mark's readers. They're used to hearing the word gospel. And so they have a good idea of what the word gospel means, but in a different context. So the context that they're familiar with the word gospel is in terms of Roman thinking. So when there was a significant development in Rome, or there was a new king or a governor that had been appointed in Rome... Rome would send a messenger to Judea or to Israel to declare the good news about the king to the people. So the messenger would come into Israel and say, good news, there is a new king, all hail the king, something along those lines. So this is the meaning the gospel authors have in mind. So it's a proclamation of the good news that there's a new king, but the gospel authors, of course, are referring to King Jesus. So the gospel or the good news is that a new kingship has begun, a new spiritual kingdom has now arrived for the Jews. And that's what the gospel authors are trying to communicate to their Jewish audiences. So gospel was not a word that was invented by the gospel writers. Uh, Gospel was a well-known word in this culture. It's just it's being applied now to the message of Jesus, and particularly the kingdom of God. So Mark here is summarizing that Jesus went around preaching in many towns of Galilee. So when it says here Jesus preached in Galilee, he's actually shortening a long time period and just summarizing it by saying, uh, the kingdom of God is close at hand, repent and believe the good news. So that's a summary of Jesus' teaching. Let's pull that phrase apart a bit. The time has come, Jesus said, and the kingdom of God is close at hand. So when it says the time has come or the time is fulfilled, as another translation says, what it's saying is that now is the time when God will break through into history to fulfill his promises. This is the time the Jews have been waiting for. It's the beginning of the new and final stage in salvation history, which had also come, uh, come to be known as the kingdom of God. So the Jews were waiting for the kingdom of God, and Jesus is now saying, it's here. The time period you're waiting for has now arrived. So the Jews did believe that the kingdom of God was coming because the Old Testament predicts that there would be a kingdom of God. 
But they had some slightly different ideas. The, the core idea of the kingdom of God as Jesus presents it, and, and there's a lot to the kingdom of God as Jesus presents it, but the core idea is... Well, let's go back a step. What, what did the Jews think the kingdom of God was? In a nutshell, the Jews thought the kingdom of God was the time when God would establish his will and his reign on earth. So that's the core idea the Jews had. Jesus comes along and basically says, yes, that's right, but the kingdom of God is not exactly as you Jews expect. In fact, the kingdom of God has arrived now through me, the Messiah. And through his ministry, he constantly clashes with the Pharisees who have some partially correct ideas about what the kingdom of God is going to be like, and then Jesus has to correct them on multiple points. If you've never done a study on the theology of the kingdom of God, it's well worth it because that's Jesus' main preaching. It's the kingdom of God, the reign of God. And Jesus here says it's at hand. That phrase at hand suggests both a present and a future reality, kind of like the sunrise on the horizon. It's beginning, but it's yet to see its full flourishing. And that's, of course, what Christians believe about the kingdom of God. Jesus began the kingdom of God. We're in the kingdom of God now, and it will reach its consummation at the end of time. Jesus says, as part of his message, repent and believe the gospel. And, of course, a lot of you would know repent means you have to do a 180 and go back the other way. That's what the word means. So Jesus... Notice this, Jesus says that these are the requirements to be part of the kingdom of God. You need to repent and believe the gospel. So John the Baptist had preached the repent part, so a lot of the people at this time would have been familiar with that. And now Jesus is adding a second part, which is believe. Believe the gospel, believe the good news. So probably what that means is Jesus is asking his his hearers, to trustingly accept and yield to what God is doing in him as the Messiah, which makes sense because in his ministry, the people who accepted that God was working through the Messiah were the ones that tended to become Christians. The ones that couldn't accept that God was working through Jesus were the ones that ended up not coming into the kingdom. So Jesus here is saying, you need to repent and believe that God is working through me as the Messiah. Those are the prerequisites to get into the kingdom. And so he goes to the Sea of Galilee, which is sort of near his hometown of Capernaum. And Jesus does a lot of his ministry in the little villages around the Sea of Galilee. You can actually go to the Sea of Galilee today. You can see a lot of the places he preached in, a lot of the the synagogues and the towns. And it's quite a beautiful place. Uh, The Sea of Galilee has green hills and there's gentle breezes. uh, And it's well worth visiting if you can. And it says he saw Simon and his brother Andrew. So when it says he saw, probably not an accident. Jesus, being the son of God, knows that he's going to find Simon and Andrew there. So who are Simon and Andrew? Well, actually, Jesus has met both of these guys earlier. If you read the Gospel of John, the early chapters, Jesus, uh, just before Jesus is baptized, in fact, the day before, he encounters Uh, Simon and Andrew, but that's a bit further south in Israel. So he encounters them at the River Jordan where John the Baptist is preaching. And so probably at that point, Simon and Andrew had come to hear John the Baptist at the River Jordan, and then they went back home 
to resume their work in Galilee. So earlier on, if you read this, the earlier chapters of John, you'll find out that that's the time at which Jesus calls Simon Peter. So by this point that we're looking at now in Mark chapter 1, Jesus has already met Simon and Peter, sorry, has met Simon and Andrew, and has called Simon Peter. So Simon and Andrew are both professional fishermen. So we don't want to think of them as recreational fishermen. They, this is their job. That's how they make money. They fish and then they sell the fish at the market. And it was quite common for people and brothers to be in the family business together. So Simon and Andrew are brothers and they're casting their nets into the lake or into the sea. And so the nets in those days, if you can imagine what the nets look like, they're large circular nets and they're thrown from a standing position in the shallow water. And hopefully they get a whole lot of fish, they drag the net in and then sell the net, uh, the fish at the local markets. So Jesus sees them and Jesus says to them, so directly to these two men, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So follow me would have been a reasonably familiar concept. So Jews in that time, quite a lot of them did follow rabbis. It was Some of them did follow traveling rabbis. But there was a difference here because usually the student would choose a rabbi that they liked and they would say, yes, I want to follow this guy around and learn from him. But in this case, we have Rabbi Jesus picking his followers. So there must have been something quite captivating about Jesus because Simon and Andrew immediately left their nets and followed him, which is a huge thing because they're leaving their entire livelihood behind and they're following Jesus wherever he's going to go and they don't even know where he's going to go. So there's a great element of faith here. They, they're they so going to be so uncertain about the future by taking this step of following Jesus. But remember, they have met him once before and so there is, they're finding him quite captivating Maybe they're already starting to think, perhaps this is the one we've been waiting for. Perhaps this is the Messiah. So Jesus here says, I'll make you fishers of men, as in you will do something far greater and more significant than catching fish. So the metaphor, it seems to be catching people, meaning you'll bring people into the kingdom of God. And we know from later in the book of Acts, Simon and Andrew, and Simon in particular, brought thousands of people into the kingdom. Verse 19 going on, so Jesus walks a little bit further along the Sea of Galilee, which is quite a, it's a reasonably small lake. It's about five to eight miles across. He sees James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Now, there's lots of Jameses and Johns in the New Testament, so it can get a bit confusing. We're talking here about James and John, the sons of Zebedee. So James, son of Zebedee, or James the Great, uh, because his, apparently he was taller or larger than a lot of the other Jameses in the New Testament. So James the Great, this is not Jesus' brother. This is the fisherman James. He's later killed in the book of Acts by King Agrippa. So he he dies pretty early on. James, son of Zebedee. Probably not the James that a lot of you would think about. He's not the one that writes the book of James in the New Testament. And we have John, son of Zebedee. He is a lot more prominent. So John, son of Zebedee, is usually the one that's identified as being the beloved disciple in the Gospel of John. And he's the one who wrote five New Testament books. So this John, who we meet now in Mark chapter 1, wrote the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. So he's one of the most important apostles. 
He's probably a young guy, the youngest apostle. And according to tradition, he's the last apostle to die. So we have James the Great and John, the prolific New Testament writer. This is the point at which they meet Jesus. And they're mending their nets at this point. So they're probably getting ready for the next day. We know from the text here that James and John have hired men in their business. So they're probably quite a successful business here. They're working for their dad and there's additional hired men. So potentially quite a wealthy family business here. But when Jesus uh, calls them, they immediately say goodbye to their father as well as all the other men from the business. They say goodbye to their family business, basically. In the time of Jesus, that would be shocking. So put yourself in the shoes of one of Mark's hearers. Family obligations and family relationships were so important. So to see these characters, uh, James and John, immediately leave their father and their family business is quite shocking. So here, this is this passage we've just looked at talks about the initial call of Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the first four apostles. And they're typically the ones that are Jesus' inner circle. They show up at a lot of the core events with Jesus. So we're going to hear a lot more about Peter, Andrew, James, and John as we continue to go through the Gospel of Mark. But that's our passage for today. Now, what does the Catholic Church teach in in relation to this passage, or how can we? What, how has the Church developed teachings from this passage? There's a few places where the Catechism mentions this. So in paragraph five four one, there's a discussion there about the kingdom of God, and it's quite an important paragraph. Here is what it says, and in fact, as you'll see here, it actually quotes the very passage from Mark that we just read. Paragraph five four one. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. To carry out the will of the Father, Christ inaugurated the kingdom of heaven on earth. Now the Father's will is to raise up men to share in his own divine life. He does this by gathering men around his son, Jesus Christ. This gathering is the church, on earth the seed and beginning of that kingdom. So here in this paragraph, the Catholic Church tells us that this passage from Mark chapter 1 is really important in telling us what Jesus' mission is, to proclaim the kingdom of God. And in fact, the church today is a manifestation of that kingdom of God that Jesus was preaching here in Mark chapter 1. In paragraph 1423, which is about uh, in the section about reconciliation, it says it is called the sacrament of conversion because it makes sacramentally present Jesus' call to conversion, the first step in returning to the Father from one who is strayed by sin. So you remember in Mark chapter 1 here, Jesus said the requirements to get into the kingdom are repent and believe the gospel. The Catholic Church teaches that that is indeed, still today, the first step to get into the kingdom is to repent. And the best way to do that, according to to the faith, is through the sacrament of reconciliation. Paragraph 1427 continues the discussion there about reconciliation, but particularly in terms of uh, the baptized people who should be converted a second time by repenting and going to confession. But also that this call, paragraph 1427, is 
uh, tells us that the call to enter the kingdom of God is addressed even to those who are not yet Christian. It requires a fundamental conversion. And then paragraph 787, it says, From the beginning, Jesus associated his disciples with his own life, revealed the mystery of the kingdom to them, and gave them a share in his missions, joy, and suffering. So here, of course, in Mark chapter 1, we get introduced to the first four apostles, and paragraph 787 talks about how this is a model of community relationships with Jesus. So I'll put all those references, including 1427, which I didn't read out the full one there, but I'll put all of those into the show notes. Hopefully you found this to be uh, a useful exegesis for you. Please keep listening. And uh, if you're listening on iTunes, I'd love it if you could leave a review or a rating. And hopefully you'll tune in again tomorrow.